Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Detective Ridiculous. I am Bricky. My host, in a sense, is DK this time before mm. we get into the wacky wild world of real life. Check us out at Patreon at patreon.com slash ridiculous. You can get a ton of great benefits, including a brand new poacher that is also currently for sale at orchidate.com, where you can get all of our fantastic merch. The Discord and the uh, Discord is also available via the Patreon, as well as bloopers if they happen, and so on. There's also a uh, good old book club, but that's Warhammer-based stuff. We have some other goals on the Patreon, but that's also Warhammer-based stuff. And today we're talking about the only thing worse than Warhammer: real life. Yeah, we're talking, and it's it's a doozy today. Today it, is uh, it's it's a bit of a doozy. Oh, right. is it is it a doozy as in like it's like gonna be a long topic or it's like this is just sad? Um, I'm I don't think it's too terribly long, but it's 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 pretty sad. It's pretty tragic. Uh, it has a, I mean, there's a happy ending to it, sort of, you know. So, you know, I um, I I hope. That you all had a fun and enjoyable time on our last episode with, you know, we had we had weird crypto Bonnie and Clyde, horrible TikTok rapping, and just just a bad job of covering your tracks after stealing something. Um, because today uh, we're getting back into some horribly horribly uh, depressing events. Uh, because today we are covering what is known as the Dupro family massacre. Yo, massacre! Yo, family massacres! Yikes! Let's go. That that's that's my favorite kind of of tragedies when it's not just one but multiple. Yeah. Also, also, um, do you want to maybe tell the uh, fans why you sound kind of funny? Oh, uh, I sound kind of funny because uh, I I took a I took a pseudo vacation to Hawaii. Uh, the whole reason I went was. Uh, my dad was born and raised in Hawaii. Uh, he passed away in 2020, and it took this long for us to finally be able to travel into Hawaii and do all the service stuff and have a little sort of memorial vacation thing. I'm like 99% sure I caught COVID there, so my voice is still a little raspy, but I'm fine. So if you hear, like, me... I was about to say if you hear me sucking on something, and I was just like, "That's not." <laughs> I was like, "I don't know how to say it. it's it's a cough drop because throat's still a little raspy." Um, but yeah, otherwise I'm totally fine. Like I don't feel like ill, tired. I don't have a migraine. Uh, my vision ain't blurry. I just a little little raspy, a little congested. You know, cough drop this dick down your throat. Damn. Man, I already got COVID. You don't have to kill me a second time, dude. Jesus Christ. Dude, the funeral <clears throat> industry is like the most crooked fucking industry in the world. I hate them so much. To be fair, we didn't do like uh uh we didn't go through like a funeral service. Uh it was just, we we um we uh we hired like this uh uh this company that does like uh they're like an outrigger canoe club. And so my family oh. got into these big outrigger canoes, and we paddled out 
into like the middle of the sea. They like did this big circle, so we left like this giant like lay of flowers in the ocean, and we laid my dad and my uh, uncle uh, out to rest in this uh, ring of flowers in the middle of the ocean on Kona. Okay, that's actually really fucking baller. Hell yeah, it was, it was so cool. sick. Yeah. And and does does not sound like it is whatsoever going to um be like the same tone that this episode's about to become. Oh no, we got we got to have some wholesome stuff before we get into the truly depraved stuff. Um, Hell yeah. Though, I mean, it was the only the only thing depraved that happened was I had to I had to squeeze my fat ass into the canoe. It was kind of slim, so, but that's that's the only depraved thing that happened. Otherwise, gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful. Yeah. Is, uh, oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm very glad the burial was good. That mm-hmm. that sounds actually really awesome. Hell yeah. Um, despite the context. Despite the COVID, too. All right. Go ahead. And, uh, all right. All right. All right. There's, um, there's um, something massacre. Family massacre. The Dupereau family massacre. Dupereau. Dupereau. D-U-P-E-R-R-A-U-L-T. And even though this is the Dupereau family massacre, this story has to begin with a man named Julian Harvey. Uh, Julian Harvey was born March 1st, 1917, and he had a little bit of a strange early life. Uh, While he was still an infant... His parents had separated, so he never never really knew his biological dad, never really had that sort of strong father figure. Uh, only a few years after that separation, his mother, who was a chorus singer on Broadway, uh, would remarry a very wealthy man that would absolutely spoil the living daylights out of Julian Harvey, even bought him a literal sailboat for his 10th birthday, which would start a lifelong love of sailing in Julian Harvey. And that lifelong love of sailing will be a very important detail later in the story. So, around the time of the Great Depression, uh, the crash would hit his father's interests very hard and it was because of this crash and this just tremendous loss of money that uh, his mother's second marriage fell apart just fell apart and it just didn't work uh julian however would be sent to live with his wealthy aunt and uncle in new york so he was still pretty spoiled he was still living the high life despite the fact that the great depression had just crippled his parents financially and emotionally um julian was only 13 at the time so oh my god okay oh yeah yeah he's only 13 good good start only 13 he's spoiled uh he are he's already seen two fathers uh great depression but hey He's, he's still being spoiled right and he's still living the high life you know the high life the high life yeah Uh, Several sources claim that Julian held a few different jobs in the following uh, years. Multiple sources say that he got really into bodybuilding and fitness. Uh, He built an absolutely just immaculate physique, and he maintained that physique throughout his life. And because he was in such good shape, and because he maintained those just Hollywood good looks, uh, he landed a job as a model 
for the John Roberts Powers Agency, which I guess back then that was a pretty big deal. Um, wait, wait, uh, the John Roberts Powers Industry. Yeah, the John Roberts Powers Agency. Oh, agency. agency. How many plurals do they need? Wait, wait, is it like a is it like like a like a male um, modeling type thing or? I think it's a everybody model type thing. Like okay, it's so just, it's, okay, so it's just models. It's just models. Uh, I think back then they were a pretty big deal. Um, I think they L plus ratio plus fell off though. So. No, don't, please, don't, don't. Just <laughs> what? Don't. I th- I'm pretty sure they did. I tried Googling them, and I found nothing on them for, like, the last 40 years or something. So they fell off. I just don't L plus ratio. <laughs> they- I hate Twitter. I hate Twitter. <laughs> anyway, Continue. according to a video by Dr. Todd Grand, uh, he also worked briefly as a door-to-door salesperson, but he couldn't hold that job because he got way too ner- nervous about talking to people before knocking on the door. Uh, it should also be noted that apparently he was married in high school, uh, but it only lasted a year before being annulled. And according to his first wife, who said this in an online Times article, she said, I don't think I satisfied him. I don't think any woman could. He was very egotistical about himself and he weightlifted a lot so sort of sort of shows you the kind of character julian harvey had he was very into himself and you know well he he also he also grew up with a lot of money before his father lost it all right that is true and even when his father lost all the money he got he got sent to his wealthy um he got sent to his wealthy relatives so you know He's he's right. always he's always had that sort of charmed uh, mm, life. So so he was born. Not only was he born into money, instead of you know like making it his his own way. He then well, then again, doing bodybuilding is not necessarily easy at all. That does take a lot. But he, he's he's born into money, and he he's really fucking into himself. Yeah, he is all very right. into himself. All right, all right. So in 1941. Uh, Julian would enlist in the Air Corps, uh, which would go on to become the Air Force, and he actually became a legit sort of distinguished combat veteran hero. Uh, He would see combat in World War II and the Korean War, and according to an article by Salon.com, he flew in over 30 combat missions as a bomber pilot and was decorated with a slew of medals, including uh, the Distinguished Flying Cross, which I think is a pretty big deal as far as like uh, aviation is concerned. Interesting. Um, he flew bombers in the war? He did. He was a bomber pilot. Uh, over 30 combat missions, apparently. I wonder if he... Hmm. I, I, I like I like my I like my B twenty four Liberator. I like my B twenty nine Super Fortress. And knowing our fan base, they like them too. So I, I I'm just curious what he what he flew. But it's it's fine. I probably it I know it doesn't matter. But I'm curious. I'm actually not sure what he flew. I just they knew that he was a big bomber. big bomb big bomba yeah bomba bomba. Then this new girl walks into high school with even bigger bombas. Even bigger bombas. Oh, no. Uh, Also, Julian remarried a lot. Uh, Six 
total marriages, I think he had. Uh, he had two children with previous wives. Uh, one of those kids never found the name of, and he had a boy named Lance with his third wife. And speaking of his third wife, and this would be in 1949, uh, they were involved in a very suspicious car accident. So one night, Julian, his wife, and his mother-in-law are all driving home from the movies. Uh, As they were crossing over a bridge, the car skidded, fell off a bridge, and into the water. His wife and mother-in-law unfortunately did not survive the car crash and drowned in the car. Julian, however, somehow escaped the crash without so much as a scratch. Ah, Ju- so, uh, mm-hmm. ah the, the mother-in-law and the wife? You said mother-in-law and the wife, right? Yeah, mother-in-law and the wife uh, mm. perished, drowned in the car. Mmm, I see, I see. Okay. We've got some sus. A little um, sus. Put the emogus emoji. Yep. Julian claimed that in the heat of the moment, knowing the car was skidding and about to go over the bridge, flung the door open and dove out of the car to safety. Strange thing is, though, divers would investigate the car, you know, to try and get in there and find whatever evidence they could. Mm. And something they noticed is all of the doors were locked and all of the windows except the driver's window were all rolled up. Uh, Mm. It should also be noted that Julian received a very handsome amount of money from an insurance policy that his wife had and he was living with another woman mere months after his wife's death when does they say when he when this insurance policy was put to uh was was activated i i i don't remember when the insurance policy was activated. All right. But it is is still very, very (laughs) sus that his wife dies, he gets this massive insurance policy, and not long after, he's already living with another woman. Yes. And even though it sounds like just the most clear-cut case of insurance fraud, they didn't have any hard evidence to charge him with. So the case was dropped. Yeah, you can't really... It's one of those things where it sounds super sus, but you don't really have much. Yep, yep. Um, There was another strange accident that Julian was involved with around 1954. Uh, I think by this time, he'd remarried another two times or something. Oh Oh, my God. He remarries a lot. And by this point, he's been medically discharged from the military. Uh, Again, a video by Todd Grand said that he had been injured a few times in the service and was diagnosed with severe anxiety. Uh, So he's now married to his, um, I think it's his fifth wife. It's, It's hard to keep track. So the two decide to buy a yacht. Because, of course, Julian Harvey just loves his sailing. And within less than a year, Julian had crashed that yacht into the submerged wreckage of a World War I battleship. Wait, he crashed his yacht into a submerged? How submerged was it? 
I mean, not that submerged. Not that submerged. Yeah, because he crashed on it, so it must have still been kind of peeking out. Weird thing is, the wreckage was very clearly marked, and there were even witnesses that claimed they saw Julian move his yacht closer and closer to the wreckage. Uh, some saying that he was deliberately circling the wreckage several times and was trying to, like, read where the nearby warning buoys were and try to make it look like he was like, oh, what what's that? Is that a warning buoy? Um, and despite all that, Julian still somehow receives the insurance claim on his yacht and was not found guilty of any sort of suspicious behavior or purposely trying to crash his yacht or commit insurance fraud <clears throat> again. 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 This, this, this time with, with property instead of people. Yes, this time with property instead of people. So, Julian takes the money that he got from the insurance claim on the yacht, and what does he do? He buys another yacht. Oh, my God. And this yacht would also meet a rather questionable fate. So he was in this pretty ugly legal battle with his fifth wife. Uh, she was divorcing and suing him on the grounds of mental cruelty. Like like mental, like, like emotional abuse, that yeah, kind of stuff? Yeah, like mental and emotional trauma and stuff like that, yeah. Well, so far, based on what I'm hearing about this guy, that parses. Yeah, yeah, that, that tracks. Um, now, this might come as a bit of a shock to you, but somehow, this new boat magically, and just without warning, caught fire and burned down when he took it out to sea one time. Natch. Wait, why? Oh, okay. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Doesn't insurance generally, like, replace the cost of the thing insured? Um, what, is he, what is he getting out of constantly buying new boats and then burning the boats? So, depending on the insurance policy, you could actually get double your claim. Depending really? on what kind of club. Yes, because that's actually a very important little tidbit for later. So, so he was he was doing the classic spend money on thing and then and then therefore get fifty percent back. Yes, yeah, he was fifty percent more. After, okay, mm. okay. Also, he he needed the money because uh, for for legal fees. So he wasn't trying to like make money off the boat. He was just he was trying to pay the legal fees. Um, but yeah, naturally, he gets the insurance money on it. It helps with the cost of the divorce, uh, despite it looking very fraudulent. And uh, yeah, he 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 successfully got the insurance money and got out of that sticky divorce. And guess what he does after that? What does he do after that? He buys another boat. Oh my fucking god! <laughs> he buys another boat. But don't worry, nothing sus happens to this boat. Apparently, this one he just sells and he moves his ass to Fort Lauderdale, Florida where he would start making a living chartering boats for parties and special occasions. He would also meet and marry his sixth wife, Mary Dean. Uh, Mary Dean. Mary Dean. D-E-N-E. Or Mary Den? Dean? Den? I'm going to say Dean. Dean? D-E-N-E. Dean Cayman? 
Dean Kamen, what a segue. Wow. All right, his sixth fucking wife and his third fucking boat. <laughs> yeah. All right. So with that, we're, we're kind of caught up with where we need to be on Julian Harvey. And don't worry about him being a ridiculously awful person that loves his insurance fraud. Um, well, because we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so let's 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 finally talk about the Dupero family a little bit, right? This is the Dupero family massacre. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of buildup and intrigue with the Duperos up until this point. Uh, the family consisted of uh, the husband Arthur, his wife Jean, and their three children: Brian, age fourteen; Terry Joe, age eleven; and. I wonder if it's Reen or Renee. R-E-N-E. Wait, I, I back back up real quick. Did you say wife Jean? Yeah, his wife Jean. As in Billy Jean is not my lover. She's just a girl who said that. I am the one. The kid. Anyway, yeah. Um wait, I Okay, I, I'm trying to piece this together. Wait, the the name what was the main name of the main guy? The full name of the main guy again. The yacht guy. Uh, oh, the yacht guy? That's Julian Harvey. Julian Harvey. Julian Harvey. And his sixth wife's name is what? Mary Dean? Oh, Dean. Mary Dean. Not Mary Jean. Mary oh, Dean. Oh, okay. That's where I got confused. So so this, so this the massacre family is, is totally unrelated to these two people name-wise currently now. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. I think I got Jean and Dean confused. Jean, okay. Dean. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Continue. But yeah, they're three children. Brian... Terry Joe and Renee R E N E. Would you say that's Renee or like Reen? R E N E. Uh, I, I don't know. You you said you said du, Duvlay Duvay Dupero Dupero. But the way you the way you spelt it is is fucking awful. So that's how they spell it. Yeah, but it, was, it reeks of foreigner. Wow. <laughs> we'll go with Renee. We'll go with right. Renee. Uh, Arthur had previously sailed in World War II, but at the time is a moderately successful optometrist in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay. And Green Bay, being the frozen tundra that is sometimes known to be, uh, made Arthur really want to save up enough money so he could take his family someplace exotic, tropical, and just warm. So Arthur would save up enough money and plan to take his family to the Bahamas by way of a chartered boat out of, you guessed it, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, Uh, no. Yeah. It was also sort of a warm-up test trip for the family uh, because Arthur had often spoke of wanting to take the family on a months-long trip around the world in a sailboat. But he wasn't really sure if the family was up to all of the time they'd have to spend at sea. He wasn't sure if they were ready for months and months of sailing. So this was kind of like a a warm-up trip, see if they can handle life at sea, see if everybody's cool with it. On his his, um, yacht? Yeah, well, on a a chartered yacht. On a a chartered yacht. Yeah, so they're going to take a test trip, see if this is something worth investigating. Mm. So... It's now Wednesday, November 8th, 1961, and the whole Dupereau family was set to board a chartered boat named the Bluebell, with its captain, Julian 
Harvey. Oh, fuck. Julian Harvey's wife, Mary Dean, would also be joining the Dupros on this voyage to the Bahamas. Uh, she would be sort of helping to crew the ship. She'd make meals and just kind of help tend to the Dupros with whatever little things they might have needed. And uh, by all accounts, the trip into the Bahamas was actually exactly what the Dupros were hoping for. Uh, all the sources I looked up said the trip was filled with snorkeling, souvenir shopping, collecting seashells on the beach, and just overall an ideal chartered vacation trip into the Bahamas. Um, it was reported that when the Dupros were filling out the forms to return to the United States from the Bahamas, uh, Arthur specifically said that this had been a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. Just so, so fulfilling. So fulfilling. So, uh, uh, let's... It, it adds hesitation. Yeah. Increases tension. A little bit. Let's do a quick little fast forward to, oh, about November 13th. Uh, there's an oil tanker called the Gulf Lion that makes an absolutely startling discovery. They spot what appears to be a dinghy in the ocean. When they get a little closer, they see that this dinghy has Julian Harvey on it, waving his arms to grab their attention and shouting, Help! I have a dead baby on board! Whoa. It was the body of seven-year-old Rene Dupereau. Now, as you might imagine, after being rescued, Julian Harvey was handed over to the Coast Guard in order to tell them what the fuck happened to the Bluebell, uh, where was the Dupro family, and of course, where was his wife, Mary Dean? Why is he, why, what, what the fuck happened? Why is it just you and the body of this dead girl? Oh, you, oh, okay, you skipped a bit there. I wasn't, so wait, it's, it's just him and the girl. It's just him and the girl on the dinghy. The parents are not there. The parents are not there. His None of the sixth, kids are there. His, his wife, sixth not there. wife is not there. His sixth wife is nowhere to be found. Boy. 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 So what Julian Harvey told the Coast Guard was that a sudden squall had caused serious damage to the ship. The mast had snapped in two. All the rigging collapsed, injuring his wife and the Dupro family. Apparently, the mast had also penetrated through the ship and cut the gas line and started this roaring fire on board the ship. After being unable to put out the fire or save anyone else on board, Julian was able to escape on the ship's dinghy. He had seen Renee's body floating in the water, retrieved it, tried to revive her, but she had sadly already passed away. Julian said he kept her body on board the dinghy out of respect for the deceased child and the Dupro family. But one very important thing happened while Julian was giving his testimony to the Coast Guard. Amazing, incredible, impossible news had come out that 11-year-old Terry Joe had been rescued. She was alive, and she was currently recovering. Okay. Upon, upon hearing the news that Terry Joe was alive and was recovering, Julian Harvey was reported to have said, Oh, my God! Uh, isn't that wonderful? Unsurprisingly, he also asked if he could be excused 
from the Coast Guard's interrogation because he was feeling a little too tired and wanted to talk to his family. After his request was granted, uh, Julian drove to a little motel called the Sandman Motel, paid in all cash for a room under the fake name of John Monroe, and proceeded to kill himself. Oh my god. He cut his thigh, ankle, and jugular vein in the bathroom of the motel, and the maid would find his body a few hours later. He cut his... He cut his femoral artery? Yeah. Cut his thigh, that, ankle, and jugular. That shit's deep. The thigh yeah. one. That's, that, I mean, that's ooh. Yeah, that's deep. Because the Eww. thigh is very, you know. All right, all right. We're, all right. I, I, when, I, when I used to be an EMT, I was no longer squeamish, but I, I've lost that ability. So let's move on. That's fair. Uh, there was a two-page suicide note that was left behind for one of his old buddies from the military, but it kind of just said that he wanted his son Lance to be taken care of and that he himself wanted to be buried at sea. Uh, that his buddy or? Uh, well, Julian wanted his remains to be buried at sea. Okay, and then to take care of his buddy's son? No, his son Lance. His, his son Lance oh, oh. was, I think he had that with his third wife. Oh, okay. Okay. There's a lot of wives to keep track of. It's, it's he six 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 remarries. Anyway, uh, on November twentieth, Terry Joe had recovered enough that she could tell the Coast Guard and authorities what she remembered happening on the night where her whole family tragically died. Terry Joe remembered that on the night of November twelfth. Uh, she had retired to her, to her cabin to sleep. The rest of her family and the Harveys uh, were still above on deck. Later that night, uh, I think around 11-ish, she would be jolted awake by a thudding sound and the sound of her, of her brother screaming for her father to help him. Terry Jo rushed above deck to see what had happened and found both her mother and her brother in a pool of blood. She didn't see her father, her sister Renee, or the Harveys anywhere. Uh, So she scrambled towards the main deck, and she finally did run into Julian Harvey. When she tried to ask him what happened, he shoved her back down below deck. Uh, Some sources say that he had like a pail or a bucket and may have hit her with said pail or bucket. Um, but then again, some sources say that he just shoved her. So he, he forces her back below deck while he's up to his, uh, suspicious shenanigans. But with nowhere else to go, and she's kind of stuck below deck, Terry Joe just kind of retreats back to her cabin, where all, all she could do was lay in bed, and I assume, hope that this was all just a very, very bad dream. Uh, but at this point, uh, the boat begins to visibly fill with water and Terry Joe could smell the stench of oil. Strangely, Harvey does actually appear in her cabin with a rifle in his hands, and the two simply stare at each other uh, before Harvey just up and leaves. He just leaves her there after awkwardly staring at each other. He probably he probably thinks the ship's going down, and he's just like, nah, no need. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Joe, obviously mortified at this point, wasn't sure what to do, but she knows she's got to do something because the water is now making her mattress float. 
so how old is she again? Was like eleven? She's eleven. Yeah. Right. Okay. So Terry Joe starts making her way, sloshing and wading through. At this point, waist high water uh, to the main upper deck. When she got there, she called out to Harvey, asking if the ship was sinking. Uh, to which Harvey, apparently matter-of-factly, just responded with, Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. This, this sounds like a dude who watches Andrew Tate. Just this yeah. fucking Sigma grind set type bullshit. It's like, yeah. Yeah, idiot, obviously. Idiot, Hello. Idiot. <laughs> Harvey then shoved a rope holding a escape dinghy into Terry Joe's hands and told her to hold on to it so it didn't float away before he could get onto it. Naturally, however, given the absolutely insane circumstances that Terry Joe was enduring, she let the rope slip through her fingers. Uh, yeah. without, without much time to react, Julian Harvey's got to jump overboard to catch the dinghy before it gets out of reach. And so now, poor little Terry Joe is left all alone on a sinking ship. Uh, it is worth noting that Terry Joe was adamant about the fact that when Julian Harvey left the ship, there was no fire, and the mainmast was very much so still intact. Uh, which also adds up because when Julian Harvey was rescued, nobody on that rescue ship noticed a fire in the distance, which would be pretty fucking hard to miss. Yes, it sounds like... It, it sounds like the classic sabotage, and it mm -hmm. makes sense with an insurance fraud man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, as the blue bell is sinking, Terry Joe remembered that there was, like, this cork-type life raft. It's this life, it's this white sort of raft thing uh, that's made out of cork. With what little time she had left, she threw the cork raft into the water and used it to safely escape the sinking bluebell. Uh, once on the raft, Terry Joe recalls not wanting to make a sound or cry out for help uh, because she was so afraid that Julian would hear her. And given what she had just seen and witnessed on the boat, knew that if Julian heard her and knew where she was, chances are he would try to kill her. So she tried to remain as perfectly still and quiet as possible. Uh, that, however, was only the beginning of Terry Joe's problems because she would now be adrift at sea in this cork raft with no food, no drinkable water, or any kind of shade. And from what I was looking up, uh, temperatures at times in that area were reaching well over 100 degrees. Oof. And you really have to understand just how small this sort of cork life raft was. Like, she had to sit up in this thing and have her legs swung over the top of it. Uh, so she was basically submerged up to her waist while she was floating in this little cork raft thing. Uh, if you see a picture of it, it looks more like just like, it's almost like it's got a ring of cork and it's like just a net underneath it almost. It's a, it's a strange looking thing. Um, it wasn't until November 16th, three and a half days later. Oh, three and a half. Wait, that she was found? 
Yeah, three and a half days later that her cork raft was spotted by a Greek freighter called the Captain Theo. Oh, three and a half days in that heat and that sun. Yep. Uh, And there's actually a pretty famous picture, which is like, it is heartbreaking, tragic, and actually kind of haunting of what Terry Joe looked like in this cork raft. I'm going to see if I can find it really quick. Uh, normally, I, I uh, Shy would provide this sort of thing, uh, but she's not in the recording at the time. Uh, I, I did find it. Hang on, hang oh, on. Oh, I'm, I'm imagining some some hard blisters and just like kind of that, that bubbly, leathery look. Well, it's th- so this is what she looked like floating, like when they found her, just floating in the... And you can see the ocean Whoa, has indeed... her fucking legs are thin. Yeah. Whoa, she, that raft is small. That is a tiny little raft. Now, as you can see, it's only got like this net underneath it, so it's not even like this full raft. It almost looks like something you would use to catch fish. Yikes. That Oh my god, her ankles are so fucking thin. I mean, yep. I know she's 11, but Jesus. Yeah. Three and a half days. Terry Joe's skin had been absolutely ravaged by the heat from the sun. Uh, her feet were shriveled up from being in the salt water for so long, too. And the crew had to kind of nurse her with orange juice, drinking water, uh, applying Vaseline to her dried up lips, and uh, sponging her down with wet towels before she could very wearily and raspily barely answer their questions about who she was and that the boat she was on was called the Bluebell. Though though the, the crew of the freighter did what they could, after Terry Joe answered their questions, she still fell into sort of this comatose state uh, shortly after her rescue. Uh, it should also be nord- noted that that little corked raft that she was floating in it literally disintegrated in the rescuer's hands minutes after they brought her on board. Uh, If she was out there much longer, that cork raft would have fallen apart under her, and yeah, nothing, nothing. So it was pretty miraculous that she was found at pretty much the last possible moment she could have been found at. That reminds me a little bit like, um, do you remember the story of 127 Hours, the guy who got stuck in the rock in the hiking canyon? Oh, God, I had never heard of that. No? Oh, <laughs> it's like, there's there's a guy who, uh, I'll make it quick, but there's a guy who basically went hiking, didn't tell anyone where he was going, he fell down and he had a rock pin his arm, oh. and he had, to, he had to cut his arm off in, the, in order to escape. Um, okay. Uh, there, there's a specific thing where he, he cut his arm off so late, he wrote a book, he even took pictures of it, it's pretty fucking cra- crazy. There's like a James Franco movie with it. Um, uh, but anyway, he, uh, the, the interesting thing about the rescue, because after he cut his arm off, he hiked, I think, like he rappelled like a hundred feet down one-handed and then hiked like eight miles. Holy with, shit. With the one arm. But the idea, he was so dehydrated that his blood was so thick and syrupy that if he had waited any longer... He would have most likely 
um, died from dehydration and, and lack of mobility. But if he cut it any sooner, his blood would have been so um, like much much less thick, and he would probably have died from blood loss. Oh. So it was, like, it was like this perfect window of when wow. he did it. Um, kind of makes me think like they got her off the raft like perfect literally time. minutes yeah. before. Yeah, it was yeah, it was like miraculous. Uh, but the captain immediately signals the Coast Guard to let them know that they had picked up a little blonde girl named Terry Joe Dupero, that she was on the Bluebell, and that she was very clearly suffering the effects of exposure to the elements for the last nearly four days. And it's this specific call from the, uh, from the, what was it, the Captain Theo, uh, it was this call that would interrupt the interrogation of Julian Harvey and lead him to commit suicide. Uh, and okay. Given all of these just wild developments, uh, authorities began to take a much closer look into Julian Harvey's history in regards to insurance fraud and what he had been up to recently. Shock of all shocks, Julian Harvey was in pretty serious financial troubles. Uh, but more importantly, just recently, uh, sometime before the charter, uh, he had set up an insurance policy for his wife, Mary Dean. According to Wikipedia and at least one other article that I found, it was a double indemnity policy for $20,000. Meaning that if Mary Dean's death had been deemed like an accident or something, Julian Harvey would collect double the amount and actually walk away with 40000 bucks In the 60s. Yep. So authorities... So, oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, um, so you said, you said Jean, so his wife. Mary Dean, yeah. Mary Dean is Mary uh, Julian Dean, Harvey's so wife. Mary Dean, so his wife. Fucking God. <laughs> yeah, got him confused um, again, didn't you? <laughs> I, I did. Um, but, okay, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, mm, what about the other family then? Well, so authorities pieced together that Julian Harvey had every intention of killing his wife during the trip and using the Dupro family as sort of witnesses to the fact that it had been accidental or she vanished or something like that. Just a means to add a little more credibility to his story. However, it is believed that either the father, the mother, or somebody in the Dupro must have seen Julian Harvey kill his wife or at least him trying to, the, to like dispose of the body. And in that moment, he was like, well, shit, they know I killed her. So it's better if I just kill all the witnesses and cover my tracks. Yeah, that sounds like him. Yep. That sounds like the guy who says, is the boat sinking? He's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guess I better just kill everyone. And the only reason he didn't kill Terry Joe, or this is what they think, uh, is because he probably believed that there was no possible way this little 11-year-old girl could survive the sinking ship. She'd probably drown. Uh, it's also possible that maybe he wanted to kill Terry Joe, but when she let go of the dinghy rope, he couldn't kill her because he, he, he had to get the dinghy. Otherwise, he'd go down with the ship too, so he couldn't kill her. 
Uh, it was also decided that the reason he kept the body of Rene was, again, to try adding a sense of credibility to, credibility to his story of a shipwreck. And he was like, oh, but I couldn't have done it. I tried to save the little girl. Why would I try to save the little girl if I intend? Makes no sense. When it was all said and done, the Coast Guard concluded that Julian Harvey would have been charged with the murders of all of the Dupereau family, uh, his wife Mary Dean, and the attempted murder of Terry Joe. Or, well, he would have been charged if he, you know, didn't, he didn't kill himself, commit yeah. suicide, yeah. Uh, as for Terry Joe, you can imagine it took her a long time to come to terms with all of this. Uh, her whole family brutally murdered. She never even saw what happened to her father or her sister. Uh, in an interview she gave on a, uh, it was a video on a Docs in Motion channel. Uh, she claimed that after the event, she had a really hard time uh, believing that her father was actually dead because she'd never seen his body. Uh, so sometimes uh, she thought he would just show up again. Like, she would just pick up and drive to a Florida beach with the hopes that she would find her dad. And it wasn't until she was 35 years old that she finally accepted that her father was, in fact, dead and gone. 35? It wasn't until she was 35 that she really accepted it and stopped sort of searching for her dad. Ooh, that's a rough age to 11. Like, like you, you're a little younger. It's, it's, you can kind of repress it a little bit more. Yep. It doesn't hit as much. You're, you're older, and you can kind of understand the world better. Yep. Oof, that sucks. I believe it was also reported that she had kept the pajamas and gown that she was in that night because she felt like it was one of those things that like connected her to her parents. And so she never really wanted to let go of that. Yeah, once once you uh, once you lose the um, like the last remaining item of them, it's like the memory's gone. Yep. Uh, she would also change her name to Tear T E R E. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Tear 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 mm. Tear sounds better. Any particular reason? Uh, in order to protect her privacy, she. Uh, she wasn't super comfortable talking about the tragedy and felt understandably awkward and uncomfortable in large crowds that knew about her. Ah, so I'm assuming this was probably a pretty big story at the time. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it was. Uh, and when she returned to school, uh, because she moved back to Green Bay with her aunt, uncle and her cousins uh, to at least try and have somewhat of a normal life with her family. Uh, she also couldn't really confide in her friends or her teachers because while they were all, they all knew what was going on, they were all told to pretend like nothing had happened. Just keep going like everything's normal. You don't want to traumatize this poor child anymore, so just pretend like nothing had happened. Uh, she wouldn't talk about what happened that what happened that night publicly for the next twenty years since it happened, or since thirty-five. Since it happened, okay, she so, wouldn't talk publicly about it for twenty years. So basically, right after she came to grips with her dad's uh, being gone, is when she talked about it because eleven oh, yeah. twenty-five is thirty-six. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, when yeah. she when she was finally fully accepting of her father. Yeah, 
that makes sense as to when she would finally start opening up and talking about it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, eventually, she would talk to the media. Uh, I think in 1988, Oprah actually had her reunited with the rescuers that saved her. Uh, but even at that time, she wasn't able to really fully talk about what had happened to her and what it was like to float on that cork raft for almost four days. Uh, it wasn't until 49 years after the tragedy that she had given her first televised interview to Matt Lohr, uh talking about just everything. Uh, she speculated that Julian Harvey probably wanted to kill his wife as quietly as possible, but Mary Dean probably struggled, fought him, caused a big scene, and that is what attracted the attention of the Dupro family. Uh, there was also a Coast Guard uh, regulation change because of her rescue. Um, so the cork raft that she was in, it's that white color, right? Uh, that cork raft very easily blended in with the waves and the white caps in the ocean. And it made it almost impossible for rescue planes or uh, other ships to see her because it just looks so much like a white cap from the distance. So the Coast Guard made it a regulation that those life rafts had to be a bright orange color so that in situations like this, boom, you can spot them really easy. You know exactly what it is. Um, which, by the way, the only reason uh, Terry's white cork raft was spotted uh, was because a crewman on the Captain Theo thought it looked really odd that there was an ocean white cap out there that just wasn't disappearing. It just kept on, you know, and that's that's why they found her. Wow, what a goddamn hero. Holy hell. Yeah, he was just he was just kind of zoning out, looking out in the ocean like, why is that white cap not disappearing? That's weird. And as they got closer, it's like, oh shit, that's a person. It's like making a it's like making a life raft blue. Yeah. It's very similar. Make, make that life raft blue, you know? Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, th God. I'm trapped in this forest. I better put on my green camo outfit. Yeah, I hope they'll somebody, see me. Yeah, they'll totally see me in the camo. I should definitely move like a tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also worth noting that uh, Ter, Ter actually felt like she had bonded with the sea. Uh, in an interview... Uh, she said that Julian Harvey had left her on the bluebell, thinking that the water and the sea would swallow her whole. But instead, uh, her time adrift, uh, she said it created this sort of like bonded connection between her and the water. So she actually started working in uh, water resources and water regulation zoning, stating that she wanted to protect the water in the same way that the water had protected her. Huh. Yep. Which which I thought was kind of interesting, because I would have figured, like, if that was me, I would never want to go on a boat again. I'd never want to see the ocean again. I would be... I would have aquaphobia. Yeah, it's either, it's either you develop a giant fear of it, or you create a connection with it. Like, it's, it's, it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tare also said in an interview with Matt Lord that she didn't want people to hear her story and go, oh, gee, what a poor little girl. But rather, she wanted people to feel like, look at this woman. Look at everything she went through. She still survived. She still got on with her life. 
What a fucking champ. Uh, she would marry a man named Ronald Fassbender, and the two of them would have six kids. Uh, three were with Terry, and the other three were from, I think, a previous marriage uh, with Ronald Fassbender. Hmm. And I'm, I'm doing the timeline right now. The kids are probably like 40s or something right now. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, I wonder was what, it's a, like, what it's like to be like a part of, of, of this kind of like story slash legend. I know, kind of right? A, I, I don't imagine it's. I don't, don't imagine it's great. Imagine you get tired of talking about it, but yeah, because people find out who you are, and that's all they want to know. Yeah, and it's like, oh man, but I, <laughs> but I've already told everything, and it was a really tragic and horrific event, and oh no. Also, I'm I'm like, just me. Yeah, but yeah, that's the that's the Dupereau family massacre. You know, I, it's not much of a, of a detective thing or a, or a question. It's pretty fucking obvious this dude is just a monster and, and wanted to keep doing insurance money things and, and got caught. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not much of a super mystery. Um, I mean, I guess it's surprised. a mystery because he, he took it to the grave with him and he didn't. But it's, it's pretty obvious why else would he commit suicide, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like... That is the only interesting question I have, though, is the fact that he did commit suicide. That's actually surprising to me. Normally, yeah. people who are this fucking full of themselves would go on the run. They would never commit suicide because they, they, they see themselves too highly. I believe... I don't remember if it was the suicide note or not, where he just said he was like he was just tired of it, and he was just exhausted, and he, he just felt like it was just time to go, I guess. How, how old was he when he died? Hmm, how old was he when he died? I would, I gotta say, like, 50-ish. He must have been, like, his mid-50s. Mid-50s? Mid-50s, yeah. Yeah, okay, alright. I can, I can, I can look at that, I can see that. Yeah, that's true, there's not really a, a, any sort of detective or uh, lingering questions or lingering mysteries uh, this son of a bitch just murdered a whole family because his plot for insurance fraud went out the fucking window. Oh shit, man. I've been trying to get into bodybuilding myself. Now I need to own a yacht and then burn it to the ground. <laughs> that's the real way to, to become a real Sigma male. Sounds like that's the last thing you need to do. You don't want to, you don't want to become like Julian Harvey. Bricky, it's, uh, Bricky, are you, are you destroying this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is this podcast drowning because of you, Bricky? Is this ship is this, is this ship sinking, Bricky? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> Well you, you wanna say something about it to my three oh eight rifle in my hands? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think so. Now shut the fuck up and hold this line. <laughs> oh, it slipped. Get the fuck out of here. I jump. Yep. You jump. I roll I I roll a I roll a twenty on dexterity. <laughs> All right, all right, this is a little bit dark. Um, <laughs> is this, this podcast this... over, Bricky? You know, this was a good episode. I, I, I was, I was rather intrigued. This one, I find, I find the fascination of how it's going to end very well. I think you do a really good job at building up the curiosity That's because cool. you, you always give like, you always give just enough information, but never too much. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, I, I kind of enjoy how I, I, I make you reiterate things a decent amount, but I like to. Uh, I like to try to piece it together with yeah. time. Hell yeah. And this is, this is a crazy story, too. 
Yeah, this is, this is a, a nuts one. story with a nuts fucking. Bleh. We got we got to we got to hit the uh, the silver on my fingers and boots, boots on, on my, my feet. feet, and then we got to hit the family massacre. You know, of course, the duality of man, the duality of man. Yeah. yeah. So, so you you think that you think that stealing forty billion in crypto makes you a rapper? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you think DK? Are we ending this episode? Yeah.